I was disliked by many, considered brutish, pushy, but I always professed my calling to be bold. My attitude has always been, come with me in Christ or get out of my way. <clears throat> I come to this Congress with two proposals for your, <clears throat> excuse me, with two proposals for your consideration, after which I intend to depart and charge you with defining their merit. Proposal number one, that the Christian heritage of this land shall be revealed, shared, taught, and stressed to all American children. In other words, the Christian history will be included in the public education. <clears throat> 55 members attended the Constitutional Convention. 52 of those 55 were actively involved in their respective churches. Did you know? The words God and Jesus occur numerous times in the writings of our founders, hundreds of times. Oftentimes a synonym was used, such as Master, Heavenly Father, Divine Provider, Jehovah Jireh. My friend George Washington used 54 different references to our Lord. Did you know? 54. Likewise, a hundred years later, a Mr. Abraham Lincoln will use 49 such references, and a Mr. Robert E. Lee will use 45. Did you know? Thus, the profound significance and impact of Jesus Christ on the history of this land, let alone the profound significance and impact of Jesus Christ on some rather remarkable Americans. One such American, a personal friend of mine, was Mr. Benjamin Franklin. And despite his uh, shortcomings in morality, he too understood God's divine providence here. This is on file from the Constitutional Convention dated June 28, 17 and 87. Franklin was addressing the morning worship, excuse me, uh, the Congress. But how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly appealing to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? In the beginning of our contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible to danger, we had daily prayers in this very room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And I firmly believe in this. My friends, that was Benjamin Franklin. That is but one example of the Christian heritage of this land. There are numerous others. <clears throat> Here, Patrick Henry, yes, he said, give me liberty or give me death. But only after he said, an appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left. 
We shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations, and he will raise up friends to fight our battles. Is life so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God, and only then give me liberty or give me death. Did you know? The secular historians must have omitted something, don't you think? Mr. Thomas Jefferson believed that the constitutional freedom of religion is the most inalienable and sacred of all human rights. Mr. George Washington, without an humble imitation of the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion, we can never hope to be a happy nation. Mr. Abraham Lincoln, the only assurances of our nation's safety is to lay our foundation in morality and religion. Ladies and gentlemen, I suggest to you the Christian character of this land is not being taught to your children. Furthermore, the historical significance of Jesus Christ on the history of this land, like a woolen mitten on frigid fingers, has been a perfect fit, allowing God's hand to guide this country to its survival and lead her to her divine destiny. The Bible tells us we shall reap what we sow. My friends, the Christian seeds have already been planted by numerous Christian men and women, including philosophers and presidents, generals and gentlemen, patriots and housewives and ministers. Take care of this Christian land. Let your children know of the Christian seeds planted by Christian men, such as Jefferson, Washington, such as, such as Mr. James Madison, another future president, such as Mr. John Hancock, the very first signer of the Declaration of Independence, such as Mr. Noah Webster, the prolific thinker and remarkable author of the dictionary found in many of your homes. These were Christian men. Your efforts to teach that Christian heritage will not only be nurturing to all, but perhaps eye-opening to self and certainly appreciated by our Heavenly Father. Well, if you will excuse me, the heat here is somewhat reminiscent of the heat I experienced one summer many years ago in the village of Philadelphia. That first proposal sets the foundation for my second most difficult and certainly controversial proposal, that our future choices, yours and mine, our future choices will be guided, guarded, and governed by those Christian principles and ideals set forth in the first proposal. In other words, our Christian choices will be based upon Christian principles, not worldly principles. My friends, tomorrow will bring about numerous challenges, numerous changes. You know that. Why, the devil himself will attempt to erode the foundation of that first proposal by using man's own intellect, own inquisitiveness to tempt and eventually destroy those Christian principles and ideals. If the devil himself were to tamper with our future course of events, can you imagine? For example, 
What a shame it would be if one day man were to discover how to eliminate a child prior to its birth and the government approved it. What a shame it would be if one day a new type of cannonball was developed, one capable of enormous explosive power, even including clouds of poisonous plagues, and the peoples and the nations accepted their occasional use. And, and what a shame it would be if one day a, a device... An image box of some sort was capable of sending evil images into our homes. And we not only permitted it, but promoted it so thoroughly and participated in it so thoroughly as to allow its evil tendencies to desensitize our moralities and virtually destroy our family time together. What a shame it would be if one day the love and compassion we have for our neighbors became secluded and isolated behind locked doors, privacy fencing, and hedges. And what a shame it would be if one day a person or group in authority were to decide the family unit is not really defined, a sexual rebellion including same-sex relationships was allowed like smoke to seep under the doors into our log cabins, altering our marriage covenant and the family unit itself and the Christian neighborhood complained in private but remained silent and spineless in their public opposition? What a shame it would be if one day man were to learn to soar like birds in some type of flying apparatus, only to turn around and use such a device to inflict harm on their fellow man. What a shame it would be if one day greed and ownership and materialism and corporate wealth became more important than giving, honesty, and helping thy neighbor to cut firewood. And lastly, what if our freedom to pray, what if our freedom to worship and pray freely and openly were taken away by our own government? If King George were to arrive on this soil tomorrow and prevent your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren from praying during schooling, well, such unlikely abominations must be repelled. Yes, the devil will use worldly men, but you must use the Christian principles and ideals set forth by my friends and my colleagues, your forefathers and your founders fathers to dismember such abominations. Thus, my two proposals, I trust you will consider them, absorb any wisdom found therein, and adjust your lives accordingly. Oh, oh. Well, now you know why I was disliked by many.
Perhaps I have offended you or your neighbor. That was not my intention. But I will not apologize for my Christian heritage. Nor will I stand idly by when I see it being challenged and or ridiculed by future individuals and or events. And lastly, my dear friend George Washington was constantly found to be in prayer. Did you know? He had been leading our troops against the vastly superior forces of King George. One wintry evening around dusk, a Quaker, ironically a Tory Quaker by the name of Potts, Mr. Isaac Potts, came upon the general. The general was alone at the edge of the wood. Mr. Potts was not seen by the general, but this is what Mr. Potts observed. The general was alone at the edge of the wood, only his four-legged trusty, ashen-spotted mount named Nelson stood off his shoulder. It was quiet. It was cold. The general was on his knee. So quiet. Only an occasional snort from Nelson nearby, colored the chilly, silent air. The general's hands were folded, his stature severe. His head was bowed, and he was praying. Picture that on your imaginary canvas. Picture that, General George Washington. Later, that Tory Quaker who observed this wrote about what he saw that evening outside his village at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. He wrote, if there is anyone on this earth who the Lord will listen to, it is George Washington. And I feel a presentiment that under such a commander there can be no doubt of our eventually establishing our independence and that God in his providence has willed it so. My friends, this country is founded in God. Did you know?